Praise the Lord out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. It is so good to speak to you again in the midst of this global pandemic that we are currently experiencing on planet Earth. Glory to God. The COVID-19 virus uh, that has affected countries and nations all over the world. Uh, over 45,000 deaths in the United States alone. Uh, glory to God. And uh, over 850,000 people have been infected at a rate that has doubled since last week. And uh, so we need God's help uh, at this time. But uh, I wanted to just reach out to all of you and give you another very important uh, uh, podcast for this segment. I was watching uh, on the news and I saw that our president had, President Trump had uh, encouraged protesters to... Uh, have protests to want people to get back to work and I was watching CNN and they had a picture of some protesters that had a sign that says we will not take the mark of the beast and so it reminded me of the previous podcast that I did concerning the uh, of the 5G conspiracy and about the the vaccination was really going to be uh, a way to insert a computer chip which was going to be the mark of the beast. So this is what we're going to be talking about during this segment. This segment is titled The Mark of the Beast. But before we get into our segment, I just have to inform you that you have just joined the revelation revolution again everyone it is so very good to be back with you i'm just excited we're sitting here uh doing our social distancing thing and uh working from home and uh we just are again thrilled to be able to speak to you on today so many people have lost their lives and we need to keep those those families in uh in prayer that are uh, going through uh at this time uh, it's something that no one saw coming and uh the governments of the world and the economies of the world are are shifting that everybody's impacted churches whole nine yards and there's just so many uh horror stories to uh, or sad stories to report, but uh, and we're going to, you know, address some of those things in our lesson. Uh, 
Uh, but what I did want to share with you, though, is um, um, the statistics of, of our listeners. And so my largest uh, group of listeners are from age 35 to 40. They make up 24% of our audience. Uh, but the lion's share of our audience goes from the age 23 all the way up to over 60. The over 60 group is 17%. Uh, the uh, 45 to 59 is 14%. The largest group are the millennials, which is 35 to 44%. Uh, I guess the, this is a the millennials, I guess, would be on the lower end. I guess uh, uh, 28 to 34 uh, make up 19 percent, and uh, 23 to 27 to 17 percent, and so 18 to 22 is 8 percent. And most of our uh, uh, listeners are male. 63 percent are male, and 35 percent are female. Most the vast majority of our listeners are in the United States and I think that um, California has 28% Illinois 23% Louisiana uh, 8% Texas uh, 6% North Carolina 6% Ohio 5% Arizona 3% and uh, New Jersey 2% Idaho 1% Michigan 1% Pennsylvania 1, Oklahoma 1, Georgia 1, and Missouri 1%. Now, our total listeners, we're up to 2,351. We're approaching 2,400 listeners. And I just, I think the last time I was on with you, we were, we were at 1,900, I believe. 19 something, I believe. So, uh, our message, ladies and gentlemen, is reaching a wide range of people across the United States. And also, uh, we do have some overseas. And uh, let me just share that with you. Um, uh, overseas uh, people. Uh, and uh, I believe we have uh, uh, South Africa. And uh, the United States, we have South Africa. Uh, they come in at um, uh, South Africa comes in at three percent, and uh, then we have the United Kingdom as well. A uh, Durban which is uh, 96% of the 3% that's in that, in that part of the uh, world. And uh, so, uh, let me see, so the United, oh, the United Kingdom is at, uh, is at 1%, and uh, all of that is in England. So we just thank God for all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, what I would like you to do is to share my podcast with as many people as you can. It's very, very important. And the thing is, I understand that not everybody is going to agree with what I'm teaching. People, people did not, everybody didn't believe Jesus. I mean, he was here doing miracles. <laughs> Everybody didn't believe him. Everybody did not believe the apostles. I mean, these and, and all of that. So 
I'm under no illusion that everybody that listens to this podcast is going to agree with what I'm all the things that I'm saying. And that's fine. Okay? What my job is is to put the information out there. And see, this is one of the main problems that I'm having with pre-trib is that the pre-trib rapture theory is what it should, should be properly called. And it's a theory because it hasn't happened yet. That's what makes it a theory. That's what makes all of our positions theories because we're mere humans trying to decipher all of this stuff, apocalyptic literature that came from the realm of heaven. And we're, we, we, we're, we're, we're people down here. And we, we know what we know and we know what we think we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And that's the problem. You see, God has any number of ways of fulfilling the prophecy. He has all of created reality at his disposal to accomplish anything he wants to accomplish. I mean, like, who saw COVID-19 coming? Who would have told us that on Easter or Resurrection Sunday 2020 that churches would be empty? That even the Basilica at, at the Vatican in Rome, instead of being uh, a field to the brim with 80,000 people, the Pope was the only one there. Oh, they did. Well, he wasn't the only one there, but because I actually saw a piece of the service. So there were a few priests and all of that stuff there, but normally there would be tens of thousands of people filling St. Peter's, uh, uh, the Basilica. And so the bottom line is no one saw this coming. And so we don't know how God works things out in the earth realm. God can tell you one thing and have it written down. But you have no idea how he's actually going to fulfill it. So something could be getting fulfilled right in front of your face from a direction you you don't even know. And the next thing you know is there it is being fulfilled and it can get right by you. And that's what happened with Jesus. The, this, the Old Testament was filled with prophecies about him. When he showed up, the scholars did not recognize him. They didn't know who he was. And he was fulfilling stuff. And as you read the Bible, you know, you actually see this was done so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And so um, and there he was fulfilling scriptures and people did not recognize it. God can tell you what's going to happen and you not even see it while it's happening. And so this is why our theories, ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have to be honest with people. And I feel this is what pre-trib is not doing. It's not being honest with people to this regard. Is number one, the people are not being told that number one, this is a theory. It's not a proven fact. People are being told there's no chance of us being here doing the events of the book of Revelation. That the church is not mentioned and all of this stuff is has nothing to do with the church. And the word church isn't even found in the scriptures. Well, let me give news to you. 
The word church is not found in Titus. It's not found in 2 Timothy. It's not found in 1 John, 2 John. Neither is it found in 2 Peter. And technically it's not found in 1 Peter either. In the King James Version of the Bible, the word church is used one time. And it says the church that was at Babylon at the end of uh, uh, 1 Peter. Uh, but most other translations translate it to the elect lady. The elect to the elect lady. So technically, First Peter doesn't have the word church either, because that's, that that word church in First Peter is italicized. That means the translators added it. So you have again Titus, Second Timothy, First and Second John, Second Peter. That's five books. And then let's go ahead and throw in 1 Peter. That's six books of the New Testament epistles where the word church is not found. Now, if we took the same logic that pre-trib uses, then we could say those books don't apply to the church because the word church isn't men mentioned. Of course we wouldn't do that. We would not do that. It would be irresponsible to do that. But the book of Revelation is different, right? So if you don't see the word church, that means the church isn't there. Well, number one, ladies and gentlemen, let's just deal with this. John uses the word church differently than Paul used it. Number one. When John uses the word church, it's always in a local sense. Talking about a specific church at a specific location. For example, the church that is it and that is at Laodicea. The church that is at Smyrna. The church that is at Pergamon. It, it, that's how he uses the word church. He's talking about a specific a congregation. And then when he says, then they use the plural term. Of the word church. And which is churches. So when you say churches. You're talking about. Local congregations. Because. In Pauline theology. When you put the definite article. The church. When you say the church. You're talking about. The universal church. The body of Christ, which encompasses all believers, living or dead. Because when Christ comes back in the rapture, the dead in Christ rise first. Why? Because they're part of the church. Now, they're not, not, they may have fallen asleep. And that's why the metaphor sleep is used because the meta sleep means you can wake up, right? So that's that's why he uses that metaphor. Uh, 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 but the bottom line is is this: when John used church, it was in a local sense when he was talking about singular, and when he used the plural form of the word church, churches, that's still local. That's why, but you never see John talking about the church as in the body of Christ. He doesn't use the word that way. 
The reason why he doesn't use the word that way is because that's, those are not revelations that were given to John. Paul received the revelation of the body of Christ, the church. Christ is the head of the body, the church. You know, Paul talks about the church, the body of Christ. For are we all baptized into one body by one spirit? Glory to God. That's the church. So one of the reasons why you don't see John referring to the church in the sense of the body of Christ is because he doesn't use the word that way. But then again, neither did Peter. Neither did James. Okay? James has a passage where he says, if there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. That's a local use of the word church. The only other epistle where the word church is used in a, as in the body of Christ is the book of Hebrews. Now in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, and we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. And the reason why we're not sure, even though some of your Bibles may say the epistle to Paul, the Greek is completely different than Paul's style of Greek. So it's written by someone else. But, but anyway, we don't, we don't have to argue about that all day. The bottom line is, so when you get to the book of Revelation, you're not going to see the church the way Paul refers to it. Now, Paul didn't only refer to the church when he was talking about Christians. The other word he used was saints. <laughs> Hagios. The saints that are at. Thessalonica or the saints he used he used the word saints and anytime we see the word saints and particularly in the New Testament or, or let me just in the New Testament epistles saints is always talking about believers that are part of the church Paul didn't only refer to Christians as the church Paul also referred to Christians as the saints and saints throughout the throughout all of the epistles in the New Testament means Christians church age Christians that's what it means when I say church age I mean the era of the church not church age as in you have to be seven years old or something but Paul used the word church but he also used the word saints interchangeably so John doesn't use the word church the way Paul did because it's not like these guys got their revelations and then sat down and traded notes and went to the same and, and met up for lunch and traded notes some of these things that the, and Peter talked about with the uh, things that uh, Paul did he said some of the things that Paul write are hard to understand because Paul's revelations were given to him. So as Paul went to establish churches throughout his missionary journeys, he began to teach those things to the people that were at those those churches, send the epistles. And so that's why you have these letters. You got to get it. You got, you got, you got uh, Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Tim Timothy, which is some debate whether Paul wrote all the uh, uh, pastoral epistles. We're, and I'm not getting, getting in that debate, but I'm just saying if those are attributed to him, so fine. He wrote them. But the bottom line is, is um, 
he sent letters out to different people to different locations and that's when he when he shared the revelations that were given to him while he was in Arabia for three years he said and Galatians has a uh, gives an account of that read the first couple of chapters of Galatia, uh, Galatians and he talks about how he received these revelations okay and so it's not like all the apostles were all sitting around the table and things, people were scattered out. They were doing different things. They went to different regions. And so Paul's doctrines that he taught, we have record of through the epistles that he wrote. Now, there's he probably wrote other epistles. We probably don't have them all. Okay, uh, there, there's uh, uh, some say you know there might have been a third Thessalonians, a third, more than two epistles to the, to the Thessalonians. But the bottom line is this: we have what we have, right? But Paul was the one who got all the revelations concerning these things, particularly about the body of Christ. You will not find any other New Testament writer even using those terms, not like Paul did. So. When we come to the book of the Revelation, we should not expect to see the church. After Paul addresses the seven churches of Asia Minor, which were on a circuit beginning at Ephesus, uh, ending at Laodicea, about 30 miles apart in Asia Minor. After he addresses those, and then John jumps into the future, let's say to the time of the Mark of the Beast. Well, we already know. They didn't know it at the time. We already know that's 2,000 years later. We're still waiting on the rapture, right? Okay, it's going to happen. No problem about that. It's going to happen. But the bottom line is, is this. The church is no longer a regional phenomenon like it was in Asia Minor. And even by John's time, it had spread out, but it wasn't a worldwide thing like it is now. I'm, you know, I'm in, I live in the city uh, suburbs of Chicago. Okay, probably in Chicago alone, you got ten thousand churches at least. And 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 I, and I, and I may be I, and I may be undercounting when I say that. And that's just in the city of Chicago. Just in the city of Chicago. So, if John was looking into the future, ladies and gentlemen, he wouldn't use, or it would be beyond trying to identify Christians by their location, number one. Because you have, just in the cities of the United States, thousands, at least thousands, cities that have churches in them, just in this country. So therefore, John doesn't use the word of concerning believers that Paul would have used if he were talking about a big body of believers, as in the church. John wouldn't have used that word. What John would have said is the saints, the other word that Paul used. Because saints has been a common terminology all through the Bible. Even before the church came into existence. That always meant the people of God. So I know it's natural for pre-trib to try to compartmentalize because they're dis 
dispensationalist. And certain things happen during this dispensation, the dispensation of innocence, the dispensation of law, the Edenic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, under the dispensation of promise. You know, you got the seven dispensations, seven covenants to go along with the dispensations and all of that. And that's fine. I mean, it's good. It, listen, it's, it's good conversation. It's fine. You know, we can thank John Nelson Darby for that, for, for the basic outline of that. I mean, great. All right, you want to do all of that? The covenant of innocence, the Edenic covenant, and the covenant, and the uh, the Edenic, Edenic covenant under the dispensation of innocence is when Adam and Eve was in the garden, and then you switch dispensations. The dispensation of human government, I think, something like that. I, I forget. I'm not looking at them right now, but it was really promoted in the Schofield Reference Bible and other dispensational type of things. So, but anyway, so when. John looked into the future. John didn't say the church this or the church that. No, John uses the other word saints. Saints have always meant the people of God. If you look at it in the NIV, the NIV doesn't say uh, saints. It uses, it translates hagios as the people of God. And so this is why, glory to God, Revelation talks about these saints, particularly in Revelation chapter 13. And Antichrist shall make war with the saints. Now, of course, pre-trib comes along and they says that's not the church because the church isn't mentioned and the church age closed out in Revelation chapter 3. So they so what they do is they compartmentalize the book of the Revelation and say, well, chapter 2 and 3 is the things that are. And then they say the other things, the things which are hereafter means in space and time after the age of the church. But that's reading a whole lot into it. That's reading a whole lot into it, ladies and gentlemen. John addressed seven churches that were at that time. Yes, he did. Because the, the Lord had a message. Well, not John per se, but it's the Lord addressed those churches. And then he said the things that are after this. That that didn't necessarily mean all of a sudden you're jumping into the, the, the 70th week of Daniel. It just means that the things that are after this, the things that are coming up next, after he finished talking about first, first when you get in a revelation, he says the things that are, the things which are in it, the things that thou have seen. Okay, fine. John saw the throne. He saw this. He saw that. And then he said the things that are, which are the church age and, you know, not the church age, but the seven churches and all that. Then he said the things that are after this. Well, the things after this are just the things that came after that series of vignettes that uh, 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 Revelation gives you. Revelation is not necessarily in chronological order it does vent it does different visions and vignettes it's a collection of visions and all of that and so you have to be careful with just saying just because he doesn't say the word church in a local sense that the church isn't mentioned because number one John would not have used that term like that anyway number two John uses the other word he uses saints and so what pre-trib did is they came along and they created a group of the called the tribulation saints that's not a part of the church itself. Okay, now, and they have changed over the years. Now, 
people like Dr. Uh, uh, Dwight Pentecost and his, and his reference book Things to Come uh, they say b- back in those days they were saying back in the 50s when that book was written and all of that they said well the uh, the uh, tribulation saints quote unquote the saints that are here for in Revelation 13 they get killed by the Antichrist those glory to God he says those people did not have the Holy Spirit they were not saved and, and all of this and because the Holy Spirit had stopped working the Holy Spirit was the restrainer and the restrainer was removed and those of you been following me any t- amount of time you already know that we do not call the restrainer the Holy Spirit of Second Thessalonians because Paul did not call it the restrainer of Second they to call the Holy say it was the Holy Spirit Paul didn't say who it was so now what pre-trib did is they went throughout the Bible and they picked they said oh it had to be the Holy Spirit Dwight Pentecost said he has to be a member of the Godhead he has to be stronger he has to be eternal he has to be a member of the Godhead and all this blah 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 and none of that was correct and when I wrote him which will be coming out in my book I'm going to be releasing it's coming out this year I'm actually going to put in there the letter that Dr. Pentecost wrote back to me and the paper that he marked up it's all going to be in there the comments he made and everything because he knew I backed him into a corner when I said why didn't you guys use the information about the Antichrist. If you want to know what's restraining Antichrist, what you do is you go to the book of Revelation. You read about what it says, where the, where the beast comes from. Revelation 17 verses 7 and 8 clearly say that the beast that you saw comes out of the abyss, the bottomless pit. What is the bottomless pit? The bottomless pit is a prison for uh, angelic, demonic principalities that God locks up and keeps in reserve reserve in this pit it's a jail for for demons and so this is why in revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 you see that an angel coming down angels are always referred to in a masculine gender we don't know uh many of them's name other than michael gabriel and there's one uh angel of the bottomless pit called apollyon or badon but those but those are uh, uh like he said in in, in in revelation 9 as a matter of fact when it talks about the bottomless pit it says the bottomless pit has as an angel that's over the bottomless pit. Okay, well, that, to me, that sounds like the, he's the angel that's in the bottomless pit. He probably is like the, the warden down there. I don't know. You know, he calls him an angel. I don't know if it's a demon or a holy angel. What? I, I don't know. I, I, I can't say. But all I know is probably an evil angel. But the bottom line says in the Hebrew tongue, it's pronounced one way. In the Greek tongue, it's pronounced another way. I, I get them mixed up. Uh, Apollyon in Greek, I think, and Badon in Hebrew. So so the bottom line is, is that's, that's, that's human language terminology we use for these demons they actually probably have names that no human could pronounce or even understand but but in our languages these are the names we give them so we know apollyon the badon we know because it's called an angel and we know michael we know gabriel you know uh lucifer if you want to use that name for him so those are the names we know the uh, other that in our english bibles and our uh, authorized versions of the bible now other extra biblical literature you get all these other names Raphael, Gabriel, not Gabriel, Raphael, and some other angels. I forget their other names. But these are names that humans have for them. Of course, angels existed before humans were even on the planet. So therefore, obviously, they did not have Hebrew or English Greek language names because humans weren't around yet. (laughs) So they had names, but they're angelic names, you know. Uh, That's the stuff that, that, that humans call them, and that's fine. That's what the Bible says their name are. These are the names we can pronounce so that's where we go with right 
So the bottom line is that the bottomless pit, ladies and gentlemen, is a prison. So if you want to know what's holding back or holding down the revealing of the Antichrist from the Second Thessalonians chapter number 2, you can't go to St. John. <laughs> you can't go to Isaiah 59, 19. You can't go to Genesis 6 and 3. That's not where you find that information of who's restraining Antichrist. If you want to know what's restraining Antichrist, you got to go to Revelation. Look at the scriptures that are dealing with the Antichrist that he comes out of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is a locked prison for demons that the angels do the restraining. The angel had a chain. He got the key to the bottomless pit the whole nine yards. Then you look at things like uh, uh, Luke chapter uh, 8 and verse 31 where the demons that came out of the demoniac at, the Ger at Gadara, they they begged Jesus not to command them to be sent into the bottomless pit. So there you have the demons in the Gospels even saying, we don't want to go there. Why? Because he said, he said, have you come to torment us before the time? It wasn't time for them to be locked up. There are permitted times for these demons to be out, these fallen angels to be out. Glory to God. There's some that are going to be locked up forever. You know, uh, Second Peter talks about the angels that left their first estate. God is leaving them in chains. Every time you see these angels that are locked up, there's always a mention of chains. In Jude, they're in chains of darkness. In Second Peter, they're wrapped up. They're they're bound with chains. Even even in Revelation, they said the uh, angels that were bound that were quote unquote bound by the river Euphrates they're always bound they can always they can be these beings can be restrained not with iron chains that would restrain one of us but with a chain that's appropriate for a non-corporeal being they, they, they live in another dimension a whole nother thing from us and we don't understand these things and none of our PhDs or DDs or any of these other degrees we have is going to give us privy to the knowledge of how these things work for them we don't know all we do is we're using words that the our English words our language that humans use to describe these things okay but they can be bound and so during the millennium, the earth is, Jesus is going to be here. The earth is going to be, it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to, the lion's going to eat, lay down with the kid. The, the lion's going to eat straw. God, Jesus is going to, he's going to change the nature of, of, of even animals. People are going to go back to living long again, like the antediluvians. Antediluvians simply meaning the people that lived before the flood, that lived eight, nine hundred years. They, they, and, and Isaiah, I think it's chapter three, it says a young child will die at a hundred. Come on, look at that. Things are going to be changed. Why is it going to be changed? Because Jesus is here, right? Yes, that's part one. But part two of that is, is because Satan is going to be locked up in the bottomless pit. He won't be able to deceive. He won't be able to do any of that stuff. He's going to be locked up. He's not going to be gone. He's just going to be put on ice for a thousand years. And where is he put on ice? He's put on ice in the bottomless pit, an escape-proof prison. That is that 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 is so impregnable that that even his deceptive powers cannot seep out. It'll be like the devil doesn't even exist. Okay, that's the same bottomless pit the beast has to come from. Now, when they were doing their theories, this is just the question I'm just asking: Why didn't they use that, ladies and gentlemen? I was on the phone with a, with a dear minister friend of mine uh, in the Chicago area just a couple of weeks ago. We were on the phone three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. And I was showing him these things. The man was utterly amazed. 
the bottom line, and what he had said, he had never seen this before. In the scriptures, he had read it, but he never put it together. It was absolutely amazing. The bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, and this is the question that I asked Dr. Walford, that I asked Dr. Pentecost, why didn't you guys use the information that the book of Revelation gives about where the beast is, is where he ascends from and the, and, and which being the bottomless pit and talk about the angels that do the restraining I said why didn't you use that in your theories do you know the white Pentecost did not refuse to answer that question he, he answered because I asked a, a series I asked three questions the other ones and I'm going to show it when you get my book you, I'm, you're actually going to see what he wrote back to me he answered the other two questions but he skipped that one you know why they skipped it ladies and gentlemen they don't have an answer for that why would you leave that out and then come up with a theory that said that he is the Holy Spirit that has to be taken away and then connect the removal of the restrainer being the Holy Spirit to the removal of the church before the revealing of the Antichrist when the scriptures do not say that. And then the scriptures that do tell you where the beast comes from, where he's being restrained, how that bottomless pit, who, who does the bottomless pit, who opens and closes the bottomless pit, who restrains, those are all angels. I'm not making that up. Read Revelation 21 through 3 for yourself. Then throw in verse 7 where it says Satan will at the thousand years say will be let loose out of his prison. Now, the reason why this is important, ladies and gentlemen, if pre-trib has major flaws like that, that's a gaping hole. That's a gaping hole, ladies and gentlemen. They left that out. Now, you can ask your pastor, say, Pastor, wait a minute. The Bible says the beast comes from the bottomless pit. Why come that can't be what's restraining him? Why come that can't be what's holding him down? Wait a minute, Pastor. The Bible says that there's an angel that had a key and a chain that he even restrained Satan himself and threw him in the bottomless pit. If Satan can't break out, if Satan couldn't handle that angel, and Satan is the top principality, evil principality and power of over all of them, Antichrist is under Satan. He's not Satan's boss. If Satan can be thrown in the bottomless pit without the possibility of escape by one angel, not Michael, another angel. God got more than one angel to do stuff. Then how does the beast get out of the bottomless pit? How does he do that? And then why didn't they use that in their theory when they tried to decide who the restrainer was? Why wouldn't that information be used? Why would you be over in John uh, 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 chapter 12 and the, you know, the various scriptures they use? Why would you go there? Why would you go to Genesis 6-3? What does Genesis 6-3 have to do with the restraining of the Antichrist? Absolutely nothing. What is any of the passages they use in John, like John 14 and John 12 and 8 and the ones they use? To say, oh, he called the Holy Spirit a he. But that has nothing to do with Antichrist. The, 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 you're not even talking about end time prophecy there. It has nothing to do with the subject whatsoever. All they did is go through the Bible, find a few scriptures and say, see there, the Holy Spirit is restraining evil. The, the Second Thessalonians is not talking about the restraint of evil historically, conceptually. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is talking about the restraint of a specific individual called the beast, called the son of perdition. It's not talking about evil in general. You go back to, to uh, 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 Genesis. It's talking about the restraint of a specific person who's going to walk in this, who's going to walk in the temple of God and call himself God. The information they should have used, ladies and gentlemen, they didn't use. And because they didn't use it, it's a gaping hole in the theory that says the Holy Spirit has to be removed. Because Paul didn't say that. Now, Paul doesn't say it's an angel either, but okay, preach for get their group of scriptures, and you go to John, you go to Isaiah, you go to uh, First John, and you get those scriptures that have nothing to do with Antichrist, or you come over to Revelation, go to Revelation 17, 8, Revelation 20, and Revelation 11, as a matter of fact, because when the two witnesses are killed, guess who kills them? You read some commentators that say, oh, the Antichrist kills the two witnesses. No, 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 not so fast. Revelation 11 says the beast out of the bottomless pit kills them. That means he's out by that time. He comes out of the bottomless pit. The question is how he get in there and how does he get out? He got his own key. He picked a lock. He dug another hole. You know, he did a papillon and broke out. He bribed Michael. He bribed Gabriel. He found a weak angel. He switched outfits like the, some of these prison <laughs> like some of these criminals do when they break out of jail. They get some uh, guards clothes, <laughs> switch clothes with them, and walk out the front door. That's what he did. Hid in a, a garbage truck or something and got out. I'm being facetious for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. When you create a theory and you leave out pertinent scriptures and then promise people it's going to go the way you say it's going to go and you ignore the fact that the scriptures are clear, Antichrist will make war with the saints. Instead of telling people the truth and giving them all the facts, you sell them a doctrine called pre-trib that has gaping holes and the restrainer is just the first gaping hole. Ladies and gentlemen, read my, do my other podcast. It's all kind of gaping holes in this theory. So now you got Christians who don't read Revelation. Why don't they read Revelation? Well, their pastor told them we're not going to be here. It doesn't apply to us. Their pastor told them, oh, don't read the book of Revelation. We're gone already. After the church, where church isn't mentioned anymore, then he forgets to tell you where the word church isn't mentioned in six other New Testament Bibles. See, they, they never say that. Anytime you, listen, if I'm lying, I'm flying. That's what my mom used to say. Anytime you go and you hear a pre-trib person say the word church is not found in the book of Revelation after chapter 3. See, do they follow that statement up and say, and the word church is not found in 2 Timothy, Titus, 2 Peter, technically 1 Peter, 1 John, and 2 John. See if they say that. You'll never ever see any pre-trib scholar that says the church and the word church is not found after that also telling you the truth and that is not found in six New Testament epistles as well. They'll never say that. 
Why? Because they're trying to be. Why? Because it undercuts the validity of that argument. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you have so much confusion and you have so many Christians who are will not be prepared. At least if you're going to be pre-trib, at least you, if you want to be pre-trib, be pre-trib. But at least know the other side. That's what I'm saying. Pastors at least teach it both ways. Say, this is the doctrine we accept, but none of us are sure. Admit that. Just admit that and say, but this is what the book of Revelation say. Like Chuck Swindoll said one time, years ago in one of his sermons, he said, I'm pre-trib. He said, but what if Jesus isn't? That's, that's, that's a critical statement, ladies and gentlemen. I'm pre-trib, but what if Jesus isn't? Which is a valid statement. At least... Teach it from the other side. It'd say, I, we believe we had pre-trib, but just in case this theory is wrong, ladies and gentlemen, if Christians are still here, like Revelation 13 and the rest of Revelation called the saints still here, if we are still here, one thing you should know, do not get the mark of the beast. You should at least tell people that. Because can't nobody stake their life on any of these theories because they haven't happened yet. And we know we don't know everything in the book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen. Why don't we know everything? Because of what it says in chapter 10. When the seven thunders uttered, they had a revelation. They had part of it. See, we always think of the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. No, 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 no. There were also the seven thunders, but what they spoke, it was kept secret. And when John was about to write it, the voice from heaven said, do not write that down. So that means John was the only one, only human that heard that. And he was told not to write it. You know what that's doing, ladies and gentlemen? It's clearly communicating to us that God is letting us know that he left a part out so what does that mean? We do not have a full picture. And he's letting us know we don't have the full picture. This is why they're all theories, ladies and gentlemen. We don't know exactly how all these things. We, we know there's going to be a mark of the beast, and we're going to start talking about that here in a minute. We know there's going to be a mark of the beast, but we don't know all the parts, that's how it's going to come together. I'm gonna, we're going to be talking about some very interesting things here in a minute, but, but ladies and gentlemen, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to appeal to those of you that are pre-trib. Go back to the book of Revelation. Look at what I just said. Look about this whole restrainer thing. Look at all this other stuff and say, listen, I understand this. This, I, this is the doctrine they teach in my church. Fine. If we're pre-trib and we're out of here, fine, but at least know the other side. Don't shut your eyes to the whole thing because there's a blessing for those who even read the book of Revelation. That's what we're supposed to do is read it and understand it. Listen, God put, gave us the end from the beginning. He gave us what's going to happen on a period of time in human history that has never happened before. Just like COVID-19 has never happened before. 
What are we learning from this? What we should be learning is, listen, we need to get in our Bibles. We need to look at this stuff. What would you do if all of a sudden all the banks were closed, all the churches were closed, all the food stores were closed? You already learning right now that the government is not going to be able to help everybody. If, if, if 10% of this, this country got sick, that's 33 million people sick. There aren't enough hospitals or doctors to handle that. The insurance would be overwhelmed. The government would be overwhelmed. The hospitals and the clinics and even the medicine supply would be overwhelmed. You can't even find a bottle of Lysol right now. We should be learning what's going to happen. God is showing us something here. This is not going to be the last thing that happens to planet Earth. This is just the beginning of sorrows. We're still in the regular season. We ain't even got to the playoffs or the championships yet. If you preach for him, fine. You preach for him. Good. If we're out of here, we're out of here. But at least know the other side. At least pastors teach the options and be honest with people and say this is a position that we have, but this position is a theory. We are not sure. Be honest with people. Don't guarantee them that they're not going to be here and then set them up. That's irresponsible. That's why I wrote Dr. Pentecost. That's why I wrote, wrote John Wall Ward. I said, listen, this is what y'all left out of your theory. And why did you leave it out? Crickets. No answer. Because you can't argue with the scriptures. You can't. Even if you wanted to, you can't make the fact that the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit go away. You can't explain that away. This is what's true, ladies and gentlemen. And ministers should be honest with people. And just say, listen, this is a theory. We're not sure. We hope it goes this way. But just in case, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're going to say. If the church is still here, the, the uh, Revelation 14 says, when the Holy Spirit said, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, you should comfort one another with this word. Say, listen, if you are still here, if you do get your head cut off, if you do get locked up, if you do die during this time, if you do not get the mark of the beast, you are going to go to heaven. But now, oh, whoa, oh, I forgot something. John MacArthur told y'all you can get the mark of the beast and still go to heaven. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, let, let me know how that works for you on Judgment Day. And, and take your John MacArthur commentary. Yeah, that's what you do. You take your John MacArthur commentary and you get God straight. Say, listen, God, look, you got it wrong. John MacArthur said I could get the beast. So what you tripping for? Why I gotta why I gotta get thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever? Oh, John MacArthur said I ain't gotta go there. And people like Jimmy D. Young and Brandon House and and all these other people that that that, that are agreeing with this now, they all said it. And we know more than you. We got PhDs. I wonder how's that gonna work for you on judgment day? Isn't it funny that the people who say you're not going to be here are the same people who turn around and say, but if you are here, you can get the mark of the beast and still be saved? Don't you find that sneakily suspicious? Isn't there something sinister and hideous and smelly about that? You know what? When that person asked John MacArthur about the mark of the beast and taking the mark of the beast, why did he just say, why are you asking me about the mark of the beast? You're not going to be here. 
thought he should have just said that. Well, I'm, we're preached right. We're going to be gone. Of course, in First John, the apostle that wrote the book of Revelation, of course, he said, well, he said, you guys have heard that Antichrist, he said, now that there was, he said, now there are many crises, Antichrist in the world. He said, you heard that Antichrist is coming. He said, that there are now many Antichrists have already gone out into the world. This is how we know we're in the last hour. Does that sound like somebody who was saying, when Antichrist shows up, the church ain't going to be here? Wasn't that kind of like the time to say you heard Antichrist is coming, but the church will be in heaven. You don't have to worry about him. You got these little Antichrists running around, but the big one you're asking about, we'll never see him. Wouldn't that have been the time to kind of like throw that in to, to give him some comfort? That ain't what he said. He says, you heard Antichrist is come. It's coming. He said, what proves that fact is you already got Antichrist. This is how we know we're in the last hour. That don't sound like y'all ain't going to be here. So, let's get to our lesson. Those are, you, you, you know, <laughs> those that hang out with Dr. Woods, you know my, my opening remarks are my commentary because we're about to get into our lesson. So again, our topic today is the mark of the beast. In order to really understand the mark of the beast, is we have to go back to the book of Revelation and look at all the details that are given to us concerning the mark of the beast. So let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. And beginning at verse number 11. Now I'm going to read from the I'm going to go with the New King James. Okay, and the word of the Lord reads, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast. Footnote here, the first beast is what we've seen, Revelation chapter 13, 1 through 10. That's talking about the first beast. Now, this is another beast. Okay? He says, He exercises all the authority, verse 12, of the first beast, talking about the Antichrist, in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he makes great signs so that even he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived 
he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed he calls if all both small and great rich and poor free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no man might buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast and the number of the and, and or the number of his name here is wisdom let him he let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man his number is six 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 so let's break it down okay now the first thing that we find out is this second beast was like a lamb. But he spoke as a dragon. Okay. Verse 11. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a a dragon now here we have some interesting symbols because in Revelation the lamb is Christ so this second beast will be like a religious figure see if you if, if you think in terms of the Antichrist or the man that's going to be the Antichrist being the political military type well there's going to be a dynamic duo technically a trio if you consider Satan but people aren't going to see Satan they're not going to see the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit that you know see him visibly in that sense when he possesses the Antichrist but there's a military guy and there's one that looks like a lamb. So it's kind of like what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 3, 5, where it says that people can have a form of godliness. See, they've got a, he's got this form. He looks like a lamb. He looks messianic. He looks holy. He looks righteous. But his message is like a dragon. Now another thing you have to understand in the book of Revelation. When they speak of the dragon... Who were they talking about? Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse. Well, we read one, one and two familiar passages. Then I saw an angel coming, uh, coming down from heaven. 
having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon. There it is. That old serpent. The serpent of old who is the devil and Satan. So now we don't have any ambiguity ambiguity, excuse me, of who the dragon is. It's Satan. So now, what is this passage telling us in Revelation 13? This other beast that comes up, he looks holy, he looks righteous, but his message is satanic. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the epitome of what Jesus referred to as a false prophet. But not only are there many false prophets, there will be the epitome, the apex the personification of a false prophet is going to be this guy. So this is where we we kind of give the title to this guy as the definite article the not the indefinite article uh, a he's not a false prophet he is the false prophet. Now, one of the things that we have to understand about him, verse number 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast. Now, the first beast has worldwide power. Worldwide. This guy, the false prophet, will be at the same level of authority. You know, for a long time, uh, people like Martin Luther and many of the reformers all saw the papal church, the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church, the popes, all that. They saw this as fulfilling the role of the Antichrist. Many evangelicals to this day. And I'm not in any position to disagree with that. That the false prophet could be a pope. Because you need somebody that's going to have worldwide authority. That has, that's on the same level as a king, but only in a religious sense. Think about it. The president of France... Is just the president of France. The president of Germany. Is just the president of Germany. The president of the United States. Is just the president of the United States. The president of Israel. Is just the president of Israel. But think about the Pope. He's at the same level but worldwide. The Vatican is so powerful, it has its own embassy 
It's called Vatican City. Even though it is in Italy, it is its own government. They have their own police, everything. Vatican City, it, 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 it would be similar to Washington, D.C. And the reason why I say that is because Washington, D.C. is the District of Columbia. It's in the United States, but it's not in a state. Washington, D.C. is in nobody's state. There is no governor of Washington, D.C. It's just the mayor of Washington, D.C. It's a city that is not in a state. It's kind of like it's its own little thing. Same thing with the Vatican. The Vatican is in Italy, but it's not really Italy. It's the Vatican. Has its own embassy. Has its own ambassadors. The United States has an ambassador to the Vatican. So you need so 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 whether it is a pope, see I can't say for sure, but certainly somebody that's in a role like a pope would certainly fit the shoes and other reformers like like I say, uh, uh, Martin Luther and Calvin and all those guys, they all believed the papal church. Some of them believed that the Pope was the Antichrist, that he would be an Antichrist himself. I see somebody like the Pope being more in the role, and I'm not saying this Pope, a future Pope, whatever. Or it could be some other religious leader that rises up. You know, we don't know. We don't know. We can't say for sure. You can't necessarily nail, out, nail it down, but there's a heavy evidence that it could be. Because Rome is alluded to when they talk about the, the harlot that sits on seven hills. Rome is surrounded by seven hills. A lot of people call it Mystery Babylon. That, that was cold. Some say that was cold language for Rome. See, it's a lot of, of that out there. And there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of stuff. This is why I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, don't nobody know for sure. We don't know it for sure. And that's what we should do as ministers. When we don't know for sure, we should just tell people we're not certain on this. It could be. That's how you teach this. Don't be talking about what you know for sure. Because you don't. You don't know how God is going to fill a lot of this stuff out. We have no idea. We know we know the what, but we don't know the how. And a lot of times the when or the where. We don't know that. Okay? So he exercises the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell on the earth worship the first beast so this is who does it ladies and gentlemen it's not the antichrist per se that makes people worship the beast it's the other guy it's the religious guy it's the one who looks like the lamb but speaks like a dragon he looks messianic but his message is satanic Panic straight from the pit of hell. He is the ultimate epitome of false prophets. He exercises all the authority of the first beast. Meaning he gets his authority from Satan and has worldwide influence and status just 
as the Antichrist. And there's no other religious leader in the world that has worldwide authority other than the Pope. So this is why some people believe it could be a Pope. I'm not, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that, but I'm saying we have to wait and see. It sounds, it sounds like it, that could work. This is something else he does. He makes those who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast. And how does he get to doing that? There's an interesting phrase that follows in verse 12. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Now, that last phrase, whose fatal wound is healed, there's a lot of debate about that, what that means. But a lot of commentators believe that whoever the Antichrist is is going to get shot in the head or somehow get a head wound and that he's going to be brought back to life in a fake resurrection. Now, this, this could happen. It could also have another meaning which we, we'll get to later. Not all commentators agree on that. Okay, some commentators say this was in reference to Nero. Others say it's a false resurrection, you know, because there were rumors about once Nero died, he was going to come back and all of this. It just depends, ladies and gentlemen, on what commentaries you read. And this is why this is such a difficult subject in this sense. Is that nobody is sure. You got one guy saying one thing, one guy saying nothing. So the things we're not sure about, we don't have to argue about. We don't have to fall out about it. Okay, he does a false resurrection. He does a false resurrection. If this means something else, we'll get to that later. Okay, I don't want to get stuck there though. Now, verse 13. He performs great signs so that he makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the sight of men. Now, this is very important. It's important because of what Jesus said. Let's go to Matthew 24, verses 24 through 26. And the word of the Lord reads, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect verse 25 behold I have told you before or, or I'm telling you ahead of time therefore if they say to you behold he is in the desert Go not forth. Behold, he is in a secret place. Secret chambers, believe it not. Okay, now. So now we have Jesus telling us, this is going to be characteristic during this age. Glory to God. 
First of all, there would be many false prophets. And we are seeing these. See, the arrival of false prophets all across America and all around the world telling people they're going to get houses and money and all of this stupid stuff that they prophesy about. Then tell you what your phone number is, your address. They know your social security number. Or you go, oh, that got to be God. Oh, he knew he knew my mother's name and she's been dead 20 years. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is not prophecy from God. This is it boils down to divination. It boils down to people being in contact with the spirit realm and getting information from demons is what it is. They're false prophets. See, a real prophet hears from heaven. And when a real prophet normally comes, he's not trying to tell you about no house or the car you're going to get for half price. That's not what. A, listen, God is more concerned about you living holy and righteous. This is why when prophets came to the land, ladies and gentlemen, they were hated. They were not. These were not people that people lined up to see. When 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 Samuel came to anoint King David Jesse met him when he seen him coming he said have you come in peace because prophets of God always most of the time had words of doom and destruction they told of how God was angry particularly when people are sinful and the land is sinful so the prophet of God always bring the message of heaven to the people from God's perspective of what's going on on the earth so people can correct themselves and so that God can bless them God yeah he wants to bless but not in our mess. And so the prophets of God always came exposing sin because it's sin that causes God to hide his face from you. It's sin that causes God to reject something. And usually that's the case with fallen human beings. So the prophetic message was always like a hammer. And that's why people didn't like prophets. Now the prophets they did like were the false prophets. It was the false prophets who traffic in divination. Well divination that means they're hearing from demons. They're hearing from a spirit. It just ain't the Holy Spirit. See, and this is why what, what, what we're about to cover in this sec, in this part of our lesson is so important. That's why it's so important. Because not everything spiritual is of God. And as Paul said, Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. Satan is not going to tell you the truth and say, hey, yeah, behold, I am Satan. Run from me because I'm going to steal your soul and I'm going to take you to hell. No, Satan's a liar. Satan's going to call, no, I'm, I'm Michael. No, I'm this. No, even better still, I'm the Holy Spirit. 
talking to you right now. Go over there and tell everybody in the congregation they about to get rich. They about to get a house. Then show them some razzle dazzle. I'll drop a few phone numbers in your spirit. Call them out. People going to fall out on the floor. That's the lady you get $200 from. That's the lady you, you tell her, write me a, write me a $500 check. So you can get her while she on the floor flopping around thinking she done heard uh, from God. False prophets don't hear from God. False prophets hear from the spirit of the world. That's why their prophecies are always limited to the earth realm. And materialism. They're not hearing from God. They can't hear from heaven. They're false. But just because they're false does not mean they won't have power. And so this is the issue with the false prophet. The false prophet is going to be able to do miracles. And this is why all these sign seekers, this is why all these people that want to, oh, that's deep. I want to see a miracle. I want a miracle here, a miracle over there. And God throwing miracles around like his frisbees. Go over here and see the miracle. Go over there and see the miracle. Go over here and get the word from the prophet. Jesus says, don't do, you hear he's over here, you hear he's over He said, don't run after that. He said, people have itching ears. They're going to seek teachers. They're not, he said, in the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to want to know what's right. They're not going to want to know what thus saith the Lord. They're going to want to hear a message that tickles their ear. And what tickles their ears to tell them they're going to get a house, that they that they, all their credit card debt is going to disappear, they're going to get a car, they're going gets this or that and it's usually always something that has to do with materialism money and wealth something in that realm but never heaven's perspective telling them the reason why you are not hearing from God because you still sleeping around you still lying you still stealing you still treating your your spouse wrong he said the reason why you are not hearing from me is because you got sin in your life but them prophets are not going to come to a, a, a meeting and tell people that. They're going to lie to them and tickle their ears. And that's what a false prophet does. But this false prophet that's coming, he got something for y'all. Revelation 11, uh, 13, 13, he said, he performs great signs so that he makes fire come out, out of heaven on the earth in the presence of men. Now, where is he getting this from? Elijah, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 37 and 39. Through 39, it says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art God, the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So, Satan, through the false prophet, does the same thing. He calls fire down from heaven. 
and people are going to go, oh, this man is of God. He is of God. You have to understand the Antichrist is not going to look wicked. The false prophet is not going to look wicked. These people are not going to look wicked. They ain't going to have real horns sticking out of their head. They're not going to, the beast, the Antichrist is not actually going to have seven heads and ten horns that you can see with your eyes with feet, with a, with a mouth like a lion and the feet of a bear and the body of a lion. It's not going to be like that. This is going to be a smooth talking, good looking oratory skill off the chain with an anti-satanic anointing that's going to be irresistible. And then to back that up, he's going to have a religious guy that has just as much power on the earth as he got. But this dude is going to be doing miracles and calling fire down from heaven. Now I want you to think about that. Think about what that means. Verse number 14. Then it said, He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the womb of the sword and did live. Okay, now, Let's get to this. He deceives those who dwell on the earth. Who is he? The false prophet. Deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those on the earth to make an image to the beast. Oh, now we're getting to it. Who comes up with the idea to make an image to the beast? It's not the Antichrist. It's the false prophet. The false prophet is the religious guy that's doing the miracles. Antichrist is laying in the cut. He letting his, he letting his buddy perform now. So while he's calling fire down from heaven and people are completely blown away with the false prophet, then the false prophet said, Hey world, let's make an image to the beast now this image is what Jesus talked about as being part of the abomination of desolation in Mark chapter 13 verse 14 it says but when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet Standing where it ought not. Listen to that. Standing. They're going to set up an image. They're going to set it up. This is exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes did in AD in, in BC 167. Okay, but let's read, let's read Mark 13, 14 from the NIV. It says, And when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand and let those that are in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, when we go back to uh, 1 Maccabees, this is in the Apocrypha. Those of you that have a, a regular King James Bible, you only got 66 books. If you got a Revised Standard Version, you can turn there with me. But this is in the Apocrypha. 1 Maccabees 154 from the New, uh, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. It says, Now on the 15th day of uh, Cheslev, which is December, 
in the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offerings, and they also built altars in the surrounding towns of Judah. So this is when Antiochus Epiphanes erected a statue of Zeus, and he put it in the temple. And this is the abomination of desolation along with what Antichrist is going to do like sitting in the temple of God. So it's not just one little act. The abomination of des desolation has different acts to it. One is going to be the Antichrist walking in there. That, that abom that's an abomination. Two Antichrists is going to sit in the throne of God calling himself that he is God. That's an abomination. But they're also then going to take an idol and put it in the holy place and, 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 and uh, erect that statue. And that that's a part of the abomination. All of these things are all a part of the same abomination of desolation scenario. Now, speaking of miracles, listen to this. Oh, we haven't even gotten deep yet. Now, once the false prophet calls fire down from heaven, once he commands make an image to the beast let's look at verse number 15 this guy is something else verse 15 and it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. <laughs> Let's read this again from the NIV. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So that the image, listen to this now, the image could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. This is similar to what Daniel had to deal with when they seen the image of Nebuchadnezzar. They were commanded to bow to that image. Say, if you don't bow to that image, you're going to be thrown to the lions. Daniel didn't do it. Said, no, we're not bowing to the image. The false prophet is going to be a miracle worker, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to call fire down from heaven. But not only that, they're going to make an image. And then he's going to have power to bring life to an image. And the image is going to come alive, be able to speak, and cause who would not worship the image to be killed. The image is going to do this. Okay? Now, let's break this down. Because we, we got we to gotta get into this. First of all, it says that he gives breath 
to the image of the beast so that the image could speak. The Greek word for life is pneuma. Pneuma. The definition is that which animates or gives life to the body. It's where we get our Eng English word pneumatic. Like a pneumatic drill or a, a, a pneumatic, like you ever seen one of those jackhammers? Those are pneumatic. That's pressurized air going through there and it's breaking up. Those are, that's, a, that's pneuma, the flow of air. Okay? Or that which animates. Now, let's get into the possibilities of what this could mean. It could mean that the false prophets through his miracle power actually brings to life an inanimate object and causes it to come to life. That's one possibility. As a matter of fact, we've seen this before. We've seen it in Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 7 verses 9 through 12. It says, And when Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then you should say to Aaron, Take thy rod, which was a piece of wood, cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. So here we have the miracle of turning an inanimate piece of wood into a living reptile. Okay? And Moses and Aaron went unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. When the Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents but Aaron's wad swallowed up their rods now here's, here's the thing we gotta get to there is a controversy whether this was these were not real snakes that that Pharaoh did Pharaoh's magicians did but ladies and gentlemen I don't think the text says that I think the text says what it says Aaron threw down his rod and became a snake they threw down this this became a snake that's power off the chain number one but the magicians didn't use holy spirit power they used satanic power to do it that's why false prophets have power they can do miracles or at least these did miracles now you can argue it's a lying one that wasn't real. There wasn't no real snakes. You can say that, but now you're going to have difficulty what it says in verse number 12. 
For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. Now, that's what the Bible says. Now, if you want to try to get into the mind of the, of the writer of Exodus, which is Moses, and then and get out and say, well, them wasn't real. They, they was just phantoms. They were cartoons. They was ghost snakes or whatever. That's you. You can, you can do that. The Bible says they became snakes. How do we know they became snakes? The Bible says Aaron's watch swallowed the other snakes. So that means that they really wasn't there. If they was really a, a fig newton of their imagination, then it wouldn't have been no snake for the, uh, the other snake to swallow. He swallowed something. The Bible says they became snakes, ladies and gentlemen. So you have the magicians of which Paul identifies as Jan Janus and Jambres. You have the magicians of Pharaoh also throwing down a piece of wood made out of a rod, a rod made out of a piece of wood, excuse me, casting it down and it becoming a living reptile. So you do have a biblical precedent for, you do have that, for something inanimate being brought to life. So that's one possibility. All right? Now, in 2 Thessalonians, this is what it says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, Even who's coming after the work in Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So we talk about the lying wonders and all power and signs and lying wonders. Okay. So we know that the devil has this type of power. It's a lying wonder because it's, its ultimate purpose is not to give God the glory, but to deceive people. That's what makes it a lying wonder. Those snakes became snakes. That's all power. That's what he's talking about. Okay? I know some people might say, no, them wasn't real, and, and these, these are false miracles. Call them what you want to call them. They're supernatural events that cannot be explained by putting it in the test tube and calling somebody with a science degree to figure it out. This is beyond. This is why it's called super or above nature. Supernatural. Beyond nature. Spiritual. Spiritual powers. Did not Jesus say that false prophets would be able to do signs and wonders so convincing that if it were possible, it would fool the very elect? Why are people doubting that these evil people have power? They do. They have it. You're going to see it with the false prophet. Now, there's a second possibility. Second possibility. John observed technology for which he had no language to describe accurately. The ancient Greek language did not have a word for modern technology such as a computer, artificial intelligence, the internet, 
a television or a computer monitor or a robot. There were no Greek words for that. You're talking about the first century. So if John did see something, he could only use the words that he could use. John observed, let's say if this is to happen during this century, let's just say that for the sake of argument. John would be observing 21st century technology but described it in terms that were available to him. Since he saw an image, then he saw the image speaking from his viewpoint and with the and with the language that was available to him he could only conclude that if something is speaking it had to have breath to do so this is why maybe he used the word pneuma which is breath because you have to understand John is seeing something from a first century perspective looking at an image now an image I want you to just think about this he's looking at a mannequin that's an image that's an inanimate human like figure but now all of a sudden through some way the false prophet is able to bring this image to life and the image could do two things it could speak and cause people that wouldn't worship it to get killed now how else would a first century man who has no idea what electricity is no idea what a computer is no idea what a robot is no idea what artificial intelligence is had no words in his vocabulary because English didn't exist at the time so he couldn't have to know what a computer was because computers weren't invented and the word that to describe a computer didn't exist because English didn't exist even though you had ancient computers like the Abacus and all of that. But what I'm just saying, I'm just making a point here. So, when Revelation says that they had power to give life to the image, one of the definitions to the word pneuma is breath. Pneuma is that which animates. Now this comes from BDAG. BDAG, BDAG is an uh, acronym for Bauer, Danker, Arnett, and Gingrich. These are the scholars that had the most comprehensive dictionary on the English, on the Greek language. You know, most Christians use a Strong's or Vines, but that's not the that's not the standard that scholars use. Scholars use BDAG. It is the top of the heap for Greek words, the Greek lexicon. Now you've got other ones. You've got Kittle's work. You've got all kind of people out there. You've got uh, Spiral Zodiacs down the line. You got all of these other ones. There's a bunch of them. BDAG is the one that's at the top. The average Christian does not have that book at home. It's a reference book, $150 for one of them. 
for the book. The average Christian doesn't have it. But this is the this is what scholars use. It's BDAG. Scholars don't use Strong's. Strong's is what lay people use. Vines is what lay people use. That's that's accessible to the to the common guy, the people in the pulpit. But the scholars use BDAG. And from BDAG, the one of the definitions, one of the uh, main definitions is that which animates. So when we think of animation, we think of things like cartoons, animated char- characters. For example, like in the movie Frozen, that's animation. That's images that are brought to life. Okay? Lion King. Finding Nemo. <laughs> or, or go back to when I was a kid. Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> that which animates those were animations those were images that could speak and dance and talk listen Hollywood the, do you know the biggest selling genre of movies is animation movies kid movies Finding Nemo made more money than all these films <laughs> Here we go, pay big money to see images that are not real, talk and act like humans. They're not, they don't even exist. But we pay money to go see it. That's called animation. And that's what Numa means. That which animates. Now, you also, you got to remember what happened. God made us from clay. He formed us from the dust of the ground. And that's all we were was a hunk of clay until he animated it through the breath of life. Okay? So, I don't know if many of you saw the 60 Minutes feature. It was a couple of years ago. About the robot named Sophia. Okay? Now, Sophia was interesting. She was a robot, had two eyes, a nose, a mouth. Clearly a robot. But when they plugged Sophia in and hooked her up to our artificial intelligence, she sat down, I think it was Charlie Rose, she sat down and carried on a conversation with this man. And guess what? When she talked, her eyes blinked and her mouth moved. Here we have an image for all practical purposes a mannequin. An image, a statue. A non-living image. But when you flick the switch Turn on the power, plug up to a computer, she animates and comes to life. Now, again, again, how would a, let's say, say, let's say this is John saw something like the image of the beast that could speak and cause people to get, be killed. Let's say he saw something like Sophia. Let's say he saw that. How else would a first century man describe 
a image, a mannequin that could speak, had an agenda to cause people that didn't have a mark to be put to death. How would he describe it, not knowing what a computer is, not knowing what artificial intelligence is, all he's seeing is that an image could talk. The conclusion would be that the beast, the false prophet, bought him to life. He animated this image. So we know today that through advanced computer technology like Sophia, you actually can sit down, take artificial intelligence, feed her information, feed that computer information, and give that information an agenda and let it carry out that agenda. For example, let me let me give you another example of modern technology. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, this is what it says. And they of the people of the kingdoms and the tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry over them, that shall send gifts and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. Now, it's talking about the death of the two witnesses. It clearly says, and they of the people of the of the of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies. John is clearly communicating to us, ladies and gentlemen, that when the two witnesses get killed, the entire planet is gonna see it. How is that possible? Well, today we know how that's possible because we live in the 21st century. We have satellite communications and you could get live feed from somebody that's sitting on the opposite side of the world in real time and watch what they do through television, through the Internet, through cell phones and all that. The entire world can see something happening in one spot and the whole world can see it. Now, how would John have it described that from the first century? God would have, see, see, what you have to know, John could not have known about telecommunication satellites or cell phone technology or the internet. But what he did know was the whole world would see the dead, the witnesses dead in the streets of Jerusalem. Now he could say that, but he couldn't tell us how that was going to happen. He couldn't tell us that. Of course, God could have told him the word computer, and God could have downloaded into him the term artificial, artificial intelligence. But the problem with that is God does not take people outside the sphere of their reality and give them a word of a language and words that did not exist at the time. God always uses writers within the 
context of their own experience and reality. In other words, God was not going to take John into the future and then download all of the knowledge and language to describe it in terminology in terms of a nation that didn't exist, of a language that didn't exist, of computer and technology that didn't exist and then send them into the future, make them know all that stuff so we can say yeah, she, uh, you know, you'll be able to get this on the internet and things like that and blah blah blah. Of course God didn't do that. God kept John in his first century perspective and let John tell painted in broad strokes the whole world is going to see these two people dead now if you'd ask John how was that possible John would have scratched his head and said I don't know I just saw it and wrote it down it's not like God downloaded into him what's a microprocessor and an Intel uh, Pentium 5 processor and what a gigabyte and a terabyte is God wasn't going to explain that to that man he took him into the future let him see it he wrote it down from his perspective. So when John looked at the false prophet bringing his image into light, if it was artificial to intelligence, if it was robotics, all John know is this thing was an image that could talk. So the only word available to him would have been pneuma to give it breath because if you're talking, you're obviously breathing. Artificial intelligence, advanced robotics of the day, like Sophia, is a robot that has artificial intelligence. It can speak and blink its eyes and carry on a conversation with you. Mechanical learning. You know we have mechanical learning today. This mechanical learning, what it can do, if, for example, IBM has a computer called Watson. This computer can process one million books a second and then use the information to answer questions. It's called mechanical learning. Not like the regular computers that we have at home that store information that you have to call up from a memory. No, this computer can actually read data and interpret the data and use it. Watson is currently used in the medical field now. They use Watson to diagnose cancers. And Watson is better at diagnosing cancer because it can consider things that humans would miss. Even Watson was using, H&R Block was using Watson to do taxes. And I think people, it was going over people's head. Uh, the, uh, John Hamm was the, the, the guy that played in uh, 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 Mad Men. He was famous from that and other movies. Like The Town, he was the FBI agent. John Hamm, they were using him as the spokesperson. And he said, Ivy, H&R Block uses Watson. Yeah, well, people didn't know what Watson was. Watson was the name of the first, the founder of IBM and his first president. His name, I forget his first name, but his last name was Watson. So they named the computer after him. Watson is a supercomputer that utilizes mechanical learning that can help doctors diagnose cancer. You know why? Because Watson can read all of the latest papers, all of the latest research. He has access to all that. All that can be fed into his database and then he could take that data and use it and use it to interpret it. No doctor in the world could do that because no doctor in the world can read all the papers at once on the latest research. Watson can though. It's called mechanical learning.
Okay? This mechanical learning is so off the chart that the Chinese have created an app that will eventually replace bank loan officers. If I'm lying, I'm flying. Listen, I'm about to play an interview and I want you to listen to this interview concerning the uh, advances that have been made in artificial intelligence. And this deep learning algorithm that made this breakthrough possible, invented about 10 years ago, starting to see traction about five years ago, and now it is the hottest thing uh, everywhere. So let's take the example of a bank loan officer. And let's talk about how AI might mm. replicate or, or supplant that function. So a bank loan officer gets a loan application uh, and then using human judgment with probably a rule book, tries to make a decision about whether this is a good candidate for a loan, bad candidate for a loan. How would yep. AI tackle that situation? Uh, actually, we invested in such a company, so I'll describe the company. Um, the company also takes a lot of input, but the input is a lot more than what's filled on the forms. It requires a form, your address, name, uh, social security number, but, it, but in the case of the company we funded, it's an app for a loan. And you download the app, you fill out the things that you would have filled out for the loan app, and it also asks for your permission to transmit up information from your phone. But, but not to worry too much, it's at the same level that Android allows Facebook, Snapchat, Google, YouTube to take. Nothing more, nothing more than that. So it takes all that information and, and is fed into a network that was trained on basically um, millions of people who've previously used the app and borrowed the money. And there was an app, rather than teaching abstract concepts on this is trustworthy or not, it is trained on the very fact whether you return the money or not. So millions of people, um, let's say a million people borrowed money, um, let's say 900,000 returned the money, then um, the system learns we want to lend money to more like people like those 900,000. The 100,000 who didn't return the money defaulted, ran away, because it's just an app. Uh, it trained, don't lend more money to people like that. And then the system basically determines, uh, trains itself to uh, minimize default rates. So one of the interesting things about the way AI works in that context is that uh, factors which to a human would be ludicrous to take mm -hmm. into consideration, mm -hmm. uh, how much battery life is left on your phone, let's yeah. say, how, yeah. uh, what day of the week it is, what yeah. time of day you applied, um, what altitude you're at, who knows. Things which are absolutely not ca uh, causally related to the outcome that we want might actually prove to have what you refer to as mm -hmm. weak features. In yeah. other words, there are strong indicators, weak indicators, yeah. and what the AI can do that no human can, could do is make effective use of those weak indicators. Exactly, I mean, we think they're not causally related, but actually they are. Otherwise, AI would have ignored them. So all the things you transmit up the phone are fed to the deep learning, and when you have a million pieces of data, uh, the system will learn what's causally related and what's not. What we think is irrelevant. Uh, so, as an example, the day of the month is quite important, and we, I can explain to you why. Uh, the reason is, if it's close to a payday, uh, then, then um, it is likely to be okay because you're getting paid soon to pay back. If it is just after a payday, it's likely to, pre to be problematic because 
you just got paid. Why do you need a loan? So when is your payday? Well, it can infer your payday based on all kinds of things, the type of job you have, uh, where you live, and things like that. So it's all magically in the, in the network. It's not absolutely right. It's wrong some of the time, but these weak features, and, and then the, my favorite one is the battery life. <laughs> you would think it has absolutely no bearing on the person's trustworthiness, but apparently it does. Uh, if you think about it, it, conceivably, I don't know if this is why, conceivably people who keep running out of batteries are not as conscientious and trustworthy. <laughs> wow, did you hear that? They have uh, this, this gentleman, uh, his name is Kai-Fu Lee. He's a Chinese venture capitalist. You just look him up on the internet. Uh, he's been on 60 Minutes and everything. But he's talking about they have an app in China that they use. And I, this probably, it's, I think that's what Rocket Mortgage is here. It's an app. It can tell you. See, what happens is it takes all the data off your phone. And the computer can use data that a human being would not even think of. But it can paint a picture of how you are and then make a determination whether you get the loan or not. I want you to think about that. Bank loan, they are working to replace bank loan officers through artificial intelligence. So that is very, very interesting. So now let's go back to uh, 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 verse 16 of Revelation 13 because I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just playing, just, just saying stuff just to be saying it. Verse 16, Revelation 13, says, he said he causes all small and great, rich and poor, free and free men and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead and he provides that no one would be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark of the beast or the number of his name. So the bottom line is this is what's happening ladies and gentlemen. First you have an antichrist. Then you have a false prophet, a false prophet that can do miracles. He's calling fire down from the sky. You see, all of these things have to be in place. This is why you can't listen to people talking about this is the mark of the beast, because all this stuff has to be in place. You got to have an antichrist in place. You have to have a false prophet in place who's calling fire down from heaven. And then after he does all these miracles, then they make an image of the beast. And then bring the image of the beast to life or animate the image of the beast. Feed it with data so that this image can function as a human being. It can speak. It can blink eyes. It can talk. And they can feed it with an agenda to identify everybody that has the mark and everybody who does not have the mark. And make a determination that this person, whether they live or die. Now, the thing about artificial intelligence is, is it has no compassion, no mercy, no love. Why? Because it's a computer. 
And that's the only way you'd be able to track all the humans on the planet Earth and track their money, track whether they can work, track whether they get credit, track whether they can ride the bus or anything. All of this will be controlled by the image of the beast. So that what happens is you have an antichrist, you have a false prophet, then you have a false prophet who says they need to make an image of the beast. And then they bring the image of the beast to life and it's the image of the beast that causes people to be killed who will not worship the beast or his image. I want you to think about that. I know this guy, the Trump supporter that wanted to, that, that protested against the government that, that, that uh, had everybody on, on uh, social distancing and, and lockdown and all that. And they want the government to come back. And he had his sign out there. I will not take the mark of the beast. Ladies and gentlemen, the mark of the beast is not here yet. You need an antichrist in place. You need a false prophet in place. You need the image of the beast in place. You need that image brought to life. You need, and once the image is brought to life, the image itself will determine who lives or dies. The image of the beast does that. And he calls the small and great, rich and poor. And the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark or either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Then it says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man and his number is 666. Now. We are not exactly sure how this number relates to the mark of the beast. There are many theories, ladies and gentlemen. There are many. Some say the 666 refers to Nero. Some say it's a computer chip. It could be a QR code. We don't know. As a matter of fact, I want to play another one for you. Uh, that 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 deals with the um, what's going on in China right now. They're already a cashless society. Days of overstuffed wallets in your back pocket or purse might soon come to an end. By 2020, mobile wallets on our smartphones are expected to surpass the use of credit and debt debit cards in the U.S. That has already happened in China. Then Tracy is in Beijing to show us what a nearly cashless society actually looks like. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So when I moved here to China a couple of months ago, I kept getting funny looks every time I would pull cash out of my wallet to pay for things. And then I got one of these. It's a code on my phone. And now I can basically buy anything here in China. When you pay for something, how do you pay for it? Mobile phone. On the streets of Beijing, cash is definitely not king. What do you think of people who use cash to pay for things? That's rare and weird, he says. Only the elderly and people who don't know how to use a phone pay cash. This woman says, I rarely take my wallet when I go out, just my phone. That's because those phones can buy just about anything. 
From clothes in the store to steamed buns on the street, they're used to pay for bike rides and bus rides, rent and utility bills. When was the last time you used cash? Yeah. A month ago? Wow, that's a long time. WeChat and Alipay dominate China's mobile market, and payments on their platforms totaled more than $5.5 trillion last year, a 200% jump from the year before, and nearly 50 times more than the value of mobile payments in the U.S. One of the big reasons mobile payments have caught on so quickly here in China is because of what most people here don't have in their wallets, credit cards. They basically went from a cash-based society to a cashless one and skipped the step in between. China has leapfrogged the U.S. into going to a cashless society. Andy Mock is an economist in Beijing. He says China's cashless revolution has happened in just three years, largely thanks to these things called QR codes. You simply scan them with your phone to pay. Nearly every business and person has one. From the now, did you hear that? In China. They went from a cash society to cashless in three years. They skipped over credit cards. Every person in China is issued a QR code. Now the QR code, you've seen them. They're, they're not the barcodes. They're that other square box with the that it just it's a mark. It's squiggly lines or whatever you want to describe it. But it's a QR code. All products have them. In China, all people have them. And it's on their phones right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the technology exists already for the mark of the beast to even happen. So we have technology like this. We have the technology that can make an image come to life and be programmed in such a way to where it could take over human functions like a loan officer. The technology exists now. But we haven't got to the mark of the beast yet. The reason why we haven't got to the mark of the beast, there is no that we're not there's no seven year contract a peace treaty signed in Israel there's no temple in Israel there is no Antichrist who's going to walk into that temple there is no false prophet who's come on the scene doing miracles and then bringing that calling fire down from heaven that hasn't happened there is no uh, image that's been ordered to be made of the mark of the beast I mean made of the image of the beast and then that image animated or brought to life and then that image is programmed with an agenda to seek out everybody that does not worship the mark of the beast or have the number of his name to be put to death that's how we know we're not at the mark of the beast yet because of what your Bible says. See, you can't just follow the technology because the technology exists. We already are living that, that realm. But it's when you don't know what the scriptures say about how this is going to go down, then this is what leads to people getting all type of erroneous information so let's recap this recapping revelation 17 revelation 13 verses 11 through 18 
but just uh, but but and the things surrounding it. Like I said, you need a temple in Israel. You need a seven-year covenant. All of this isn't in Revelation 13, but I'm just giving you a general recap. You need the abomination of desolation. That's the Antichrist walking into the temple, calling himself God, and eventually erecting the image. That coincides with what Antiochus Epiphanes did back in 167 BC, somewhere around that time. Then you have to have a miracle working false prophet. This is going to be a religious type of guy that has the same political or authority worldwide that the beast has. This guy has to start doing miracles like calling fire down from heaven. It'll be this guy, the false prophet, who declares that the world should worship the beast. And it's the false prophet who declares that the world must make the image of the beast. Then it's the false then it's the false prophet that gives life to the image of the beast. Then at that point the the image of the beast takes over. Then the image of the beast will declare will declare everyone that does not get the mark should be put to death and that they shall not be able to buy or sell. The image does that. The image decides who lives or dies. And the reason why the image, it keeps calling it an image. The reason why it keeps calling it an image, again, this is me saying this now. I believe what John saw was advanced robotic technology that was animated or brought to life just like Sophia on 60 Minutes. It could speak Eyes blink, lips move just like it, and carry on the conversation. You just got finished hearing Mr. Lee, the venture capitalist from China, saying uh, artificial intelligence is so advanced now, it can do the job of a loan officer by analyzing all the data on your phone and making a decision whether you would be a good candidate considering things that a human would never consider, like how often you charge your battery. So when you see that, that that app, I think Rocket Mortgage is one of those that uses that kind of app to tell you if you qualify for a loan and you can do it in an instant of time, that is a artificial intelligence doing that. Just imagine all you got to do is plug that into a robot, bring it to life, trip the world out, call fire down from heaven, say y'all got to worship the Antichrist, let the image be programmed with the agenda of everybody's number, everybody's thing, and, and, and determine who lives or dies by a compassionless, heartless, merciless, merciless robot, computer, Artificial intelligence decide who lives or dies. And so this is why you just can't throw the term mark of the beast around. You got to have all this in place. You have to have all of this stuff in place. Remember, the false prophet the second beast is the one who causes the world to worship the beast. He convinces the world because he's a miracle worker. This is why Jesus warned against false prophets. When he said in Matthew 24, 24, for there shall rise false Christ and false prophets. 
prophets and shall show signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, even the very elect would be fooled by it. Then in Matthew 12, 38 and 39, listen to what he says. He said, Then certain of the scribes and of the, and of the Pharisees answered and said, Master, would we see a sign from thee? But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it. In other words, people who are miracle workers, miracle seekers, and sign seekers need to be very careful. Because Jesus said, that's an adulterous generation who always, you got to show them a sign. You got to see a miracle for they'll believe. Jesus said, that's an adulterous generation. And this is why all this stuff going around in a lot of these churches today, signs and wonders and all that stuff. Y'all got to be careful with this stuff. You're playing with fire and not even realizing there's going to be a false prophet that's going to be able to do all of that and more. He's going to look like a lamb, ladies and gentlemen. He's not going to look evil. Don't you know the mark of the beast is going to be the best economic system that the human race has ever known? It's going to be efficient. It's going to be everything. Won't be, it eliminates all black markets, trading money, all that will be gone. You won't even have it anymore. Now the problem is about the mark of the beast, and I'm getting ready to wrap up, is this. This is what it says in Revelation 14, verses 9 and 11. And the third angel follows, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead and in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast, his image, or whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now ladies and gentlemen, Remember in the beginning when I was saying pre-trib, why don't you just tell people the truth? Why don't you just tell people this is a theory? Why don't, why don't you tell people that listen, we hope it's this way, but this is what the Bible says is going to happen? Why don't they give people the option to say, listen, if people are still here, don't get the mark of the beast. But instead of doing that, one of the top pre-trib people in the world has now come out and said you can get the mark of the beast and still 
be saved. In my last clip, I want to play this for you because it's important. Listen to the defense that they give to Dr. John MacArthur and his heretical position that you can get the mark of the beast and still be saved. Every time I've shown a clip of John MacArthur on my channel, I've received pushback from critics of Pastor John, who have stated that Dr. MacArthur is a false teacher because he said a person can still be saved after receiving the mark of the beast. One commenter even said that I refuse to discuss this subject, so I've decided to cover it this week. All right, let's delve in. During a Q&A evening service at Grace Community Church, Dr. MacArthur was asked if taking the mark of the beast was an unpardonable sin. His answer, in short, was no. Pastor John's reasoning was that though there is a strong warning against taking the mark in Revelation chapter 14, this particular sin is not something that can be classified as unpardonable. In ire, a YouTuber posted a video titled, John MacArthur Outrage, with outrage in all caps. Take the mark of the beast, still be saved, false teaching. Phil Johnson, a pastor elder at Grace Community Church and the executive director of Grace to You, posted an article defending Dr. MacArthur's alleged false teaching. I'll just give a summary of Pastor Johnson's response here. Towards the beginning of the article, he cites Revelation 14, 9 through 11. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the land. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. The text here is certainly saying that receiving the mark is a sin that will send those who commit it to hell. However, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, in point of fact, any sin carries with it the threat of eternal doom. And scripture sometimes singles out particular sins that have a soul-destroying effect. But remember, in 1 Corinthians 6.11, Paul clearly states that such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Pastor Johnson goes on to argue that Revelation 19.20 states that multitudes will take the mark of the beast because they are deceived, and that the scriptures do not say that they are thereby automatically hardened forever against repentance. He closes by stating that taking the mark is certainly high treason against the Lord, and will be judged by God accordingly. However, simply taking the tattoo will not automatically exclude an individual from the kingdom of God, because the Lord is good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. Let me just add my own thoughts. Now, this is what happens when you get all these doctor degrees, you write all these commentaries, you know more than God. You actually say no, it say that, but it don't mean that. It's a big setup, ladies and gentlemen. The person who teaches that Christians aren't going to be here bases that on a, 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 a theory that has gaping holes in it, that is unproven, most pastors that teach it don't tell people the truth that it's a theory. They're not sure. No, they don't want to say that. They want to act like they know what they're talking about. So they guarantee people, guarantee people they're not going to be here. They don't share the other side. They don't give the other options. They don't tell people, listen, this is what we believe, but it could go this way. It may not go this way. They, they don't tell them, listen, but look what the book of Revelation says. If, if people are still here, don't get the mark of the beast.
So in so to deal with that piece, what did John MacArthur do? John MacArthur came back around and then said, you can get the market base and still be redeemed. So, and then he gave these passages as a defense for it. Okay, so let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. <laughs> he should, they should underline that part. Don't be deceived. Now, I don't get what John MacArthur says. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor the, effect, the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, in response to them using that, this is what I would like to say. Each one of the sins that were mentioned in this text are transgressions that are all common to humankind and can and can have and have been committed all through human history. Homosexual is, uh, is not a 20th century phenomenon. This is why they wrote about it in Leviticus, right? Okay? People have always been doing the freaky deaky. That's not new. People have always been liars. People have always been fornicators, whoremongers, all this stuff. Evil, liars, all that stuff. This is not, it's, it started with Adam. His family, the first, it started with the first family, okay? And men haven't changed. How we do things have changed. I mean, uh, 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 Cain and Abel didn't text each other. But they hated one. Uh, Cain hated his brother, got jealous of him, and he killed him. That hasn't changed. Humans are still getting jealous of people and killing them. So knocking people off, lying, doing all kind of evil stuff. So, so this isn't new. Okay? Each one of these things are common to humans. And they can be forgiven. Because all humans have come out of some form of sin, right? This is what being said. This is why God sent Jesus into the world, right? Okay, so follow me here. However, the mark of the beast is different. This is what Jesus said of the times of the mark of the beast or when Antichrist comes. For then will be great tribulation such as was not, has not occurred, listen to this, since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Listen to this. Such as not since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So that means the Antichrist is a one-time shot. Even though there have been other types of Antichrist, the Antichrist will only happen one time in history. That means the mark of the beast will only happen one time in history. That means the image of the beast will only happen one time in history and the scenario that is found in the book of Revelation will only happen one time in history 
So therefore, since it is unique, the sin or the transgression of getting the mark of the beast cannot be lumped in the same pile as the sins in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 that have been common to men, that men have been doing all the time. Only the generation living at the time of the Antichrist can even commit this sin, can even commit this blasphemy, can even commit this. No other group of Christians, no other, no other group of humans have ever been in this circumstance. So that's why it's wrong to classify this sin with any other sin. That's why it's wrong to classify this action with any other wicked action. So therefore, since this was a unique transgression, God gives a specific direction concerning this one because no one no other generation in the history of human beings can possibly even commit this sin or this transaction or this transgression so God calls this one out and gives us a rule specifically for this one so we won't get it confused so we won't take it lightly so we won't put it in the same category as everything else that can be forgiven this is why he commits space in revelation to say look you who are living at the time do not be deceived y'all need to know this if you Get that mark. You are going to go to hell. And I'm putting it in the Bible now. I'm letting you know now. You guys have to know this because no other generation has ever had to deal with this. No other generation is going to face what this generation is going to face. No other generation is going to be put under this type of pressure. This will be a one time only in history event such as not been since the beginning of the world nor will ever be and therefore since this antichrist is unique this sin is unique I have to write a specific prohibition against this sin so the first violation that John MacArthur and the rest of the people and this has gained traction it really has so in order to come against that, because God knew this, God would knew there would be people like John MacArthur who say you can do this. He knew that. But this is why he put it in the Bible. And you're not going to be able to say, well, John MacArthur said it. The other minister said it. No, the Bible teaches this. You will never be able to do this sin again. And then the other dumb thing he says, he quotes Revelation chapter 20. Listen, he quotes Revelation chapter 20. I, I, I don't know what was on his mind quoting Revelation chapter 20. Listen to this. Revelation, I'm, I'm sorry, Revelation 19, 20. He says, And the beast was seized, and the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. 
that's another thing. People that get the mark of the beast worship the image. Okay? These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire with brimstone. Now you see what happens to them. Why would why would you think that anything different would happen to the people that get the mark? They're going to end up in the same place. Okay? But the response to that is, he says, well, the people that get the mark, they was deceived. As if though being deceived is mitigating here. The question is, why were they deceived? Thessalonians gives us the answer. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. It said, Then the lawless one will be revealed, talking about the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, whose coming is in according to the activity of Satan with all power, signs, and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness of those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. For this reason, God will send them, send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now, he's right. Those people were deceived. But guess what? It's because God turned them over to strong delusion. God the one who turned them over. He let them believe a lie because they would not receive the truth. And the lie was that Antichrist is God. The image, of, the image of the beast is God. That making friends with the world and getting the mark will save your life. Jesus said if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose the, your life for my sake, you will save it. They believe the lie that you could get the mark and still be saved. That's one of the biggest lies that anyone could tell. It's a lie. Oh, I got to get the mark because I, I got to pay my bills. I got to take care. I got to feed my kids. I got to pay school tuition. My kids are going to have to come out of school. I don't want to get locked up. Oh, but Lord, they'll cut my head off. Jesus, you understand, don't you? No, the Jesus you asked him to understand went to the cross. And he told you to pick up your cross. He said, if any man follow me and bear not his cross, he said, he's not worthy of me. You don't get to turn around and worship Antichrist and call him God and then undo it with a I'm sorry I was deceived. 
I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. This sin has no business. This action, this transgression has no business being compared with any other sin in human history because it can only be committed one time and during this age, during the age of the Antichrist. No other humans on the planet will be faced with this sin but the people that are living at the time. That's why God put it in there. So people wouldn't get confused about it. Now, in my last, in my closing for real, you know when the preacher say in my closing, it's about two hours left. Now I already got y'all over two hours. But this is important. Revelation chapter 5, 15, verses 5 through 8. Listen to this. He said, after these things I looked and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And I saw seven angels who had seven had the seven plagues come out of the temple, clothed with white linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. And one of the four living creatures gave unto the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and forever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. I want you to get this picture. They're in heaven. The angels who are going to pour their bowls of wrath out on the world are still in heaven. They haven't been dispatched yet. But we get the scene. The bowl, the vials are filled with God's fury. And then in verse 8 it said, Then the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and his and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues were filled. In other words, God's fury is so concentrated and so overwhelming and so powerful that they had to clear the temple out. Nobody could go in there. Have you ever been around like your mother or your father when they were really, really mad? You don't want to be around them because you're scared at that point. God is so angry. God is so mad that the temple is filled with the smoke of his Shekinah glory and his Power because he's about to unleash a wrath on the planet that has never been seen in the history of the existence of planet earth he's about to unleash it now listen to this Revelation 16 1 and 2 then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went 
and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Now I just want to pause right there. The very first thing that the undiluted wrath of God is poured out on is everybody that got that mark. That don't sound like a God who's about to let these people repent. That don't sound like a God that's going to go, okay, you can still get in. The first thing he get is them. The first thing. Not the second thing. Not the fifth thing. The first thing on his agenda was to get the people that get that mark. Now, where's John MacArthur there? Where's his doctrine there? The mark of the beast is serious, ladies and gentlemen. It's not here because some Trump supporter put it. We're not getting the mark of the beast because they don't want to take the COVID-19 vaccine. That's ludicrous. People don't know what they're talking about. A lot of things have to happen before the mark of the beast comes. But when it comes, you better know that if you take that mark, you make yourself an eternal enemy of God and you will be targeted first when he pours his wrath out on the world that don't sound like we still cool that don't sound like it's okay anyhow never mind you could turn around now that don't sound like that And the reason why God is so mad about this is, remember, the people who get the mark of the beast worship the Antichrist as God, which makes them simultaneously a worshiper of Satan because that's where the Antichrist gets his power from. Of course, after being possessed by the beast out of the bottomless pit, he gets his power and authority from Satan and they worship Satan. And this is why Satan offered Jesus the same thing when he was in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. He said, if you bow to me, he said, I'll give you all of the riches and splendor of this world if you bow and worship me. Jesus said, thou shalt only bow and worship God. You are not getting no mercy from the Lord who went to the cross because he refused about worshiping Satan. If you take that mark, you have sealed your doom. And what pre-trib need to be telling people is, again, this is a theory we have. We say we're not going to be here. I hope we're not going to be here. But this is what the Bible says. People, the saints are still going to be here. 
So at least tell people both sides of it. Don't have people blindly walking into this thing and all of a sudden they find themselves here. Then they believe a lie like what John MacArthur is telling and other people that have picked it up and ran with it and trying to justify it by comparing it to other sins when it should not be compared to other sins. People who worship the beast are Satan worshipers. People who take that mark are at a point of no return. As Christians, whether what doctrine you believe, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib, trib-trib, or whatever you believe, you should be telling your friends and your families and your loved ones, listen, all these are theories, but let me tell you something that's explicit. If you are here during this time, no matter what happens, do not take the mark of the beast. I know men in that theory said we wasn't going to be here, but when they look around, they still see people here. And we're not just saying that because we got an all against pre-trib. We have very sound reasons as to why that doctrine has serious holes in it. And promises things that the Bible does not explicitly say. And people can laugh at me. They can call me names. That's okay. I'll take all of that. I'll take that. But it's one thing you should be telling anybody. As you see these things coming to pass. As it gets closer. Whatever you do. Do not take it to Mark of the Beast. Is the Mark of the Beast coming with the vaccine? Of course not. Remember, you need an Antichrist in place. You need a temple in place. You need an Antichrist to walk into it who call himself God. You need a false prophet. You need a false prophet that's doing miracles, that's calling fire down from heaven. All these things got to be there, ladies and gentlemen. Then they got to make an image to the beast. The image of the beast, they got to bring it to life or animate it. It's the image of the beast that's going to cause people to get the marker to be killed. That's who do that. That's who does that. All of that has to be in place. If it's the mark of the beast. And this is why people not knowing their Bible and pastors refusing to teach it. I know a pastor of a big church in Chicago, a prestigious church, will not even let his ministers teach on Revelation. It is a crime. We are in the times of all of this stuff, especially with COVID-19. This is just a dress rehearsal for the apocalypse, ladies and gentlemen. We need to be learning what, 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 what plans are we going to put? What are we going to do? You're not going to be able to depend on government. They're going to be overwhelmed. Listen, I know this is somber, but it's really good news. We win in the end. As I close with Revelation chapter 14, I want to close with this. After he gives people about warning of the beast, this is what he said. Glory to God. 
verse number 12. Here is the patient of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith of and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they shall rest from their labors and their works do follow them. This is the Holy Spirit himself who pre-trib said was gone. The Holy Spirit himself is saying, Hold on. Remain faithful to Jesus. You're going to have to be patient during this time. Yes, some of you are going to die. He says, but I promise you, you're blessed. Your works do follow you. Just like Jesus was crucified on the cross and died, he was raised again. So shall you be raised again. You will be raptured. Glory to God. And the rapture happens right after this, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get into that later. Glory to God. But I'm telling you, yes, and we win in the end. And that's the whole purpose of Revelation. Let no man, angel, doctrine anybody lie to you and tell you you could get the mark of the beast and still go to heaven it is a pit from the uh, it is a lie from the pit of hell listen my time is up I think I just broke the record on our longest revelation revolution I know that there's a lot of you the glory to God that had to do this in segments because it's long but listen I have to I, I have to stay in the flow and while the spirit is giving me things so listen God bless you we love you we'll see you the next time on the revelation revolution. Revolution.